Turn your Bibles this morning to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. We're live streaming right now. So I want to say hello to all those that are looking in and listening in and those who will catch this later. And if your little one uh, is hard to manage, they can't settle down, just take them outside the tent for a minute. They'll, they'll settle down. You can bring them right back in. Proverbs chapter 14. Look at verse 8. It says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. And the next line says, But the folly of fools is deceit. Fools cover. They, they pretend. They, they live a lie. But the prudent, anyone prudent here? Anyone who's got some wisdom? practical wisdom, says that they understand their way. The idea of a way is a well-worn path. It's something you just do over and over and over again. You've all seen a way cut through your backyard. or uh, It's just a path that gets used all the time and worn down from use. There's stuff that I do all the time. And I'm trying to figure me out. Here I'm in my ticking mid-60s, and I'm still trying to figure me out. It's been a lifetime of trying to figure me out. Why I do what I do. And there's things that I do that I don't want to do. There's things I wish I didn't do. They're not sins. Those are different. Those things, we deal with those differently. And we walk in the light as he's in the light. And uh, I'm not talking about sins, but there are things that I would categorize in my life that are weaknesses patterns, habits of doing things. Uh, if you asked Heather to rhyme them off, she could very easily because we've lived together. We've known each other since we're teenagers. And, and uh, I'll tell you how you know uh, the difference between a weakness and a sin. Sins, sins have to be dealt with. You never deal with sins like weaknesses, and you never deal with weaknesses as if they're sins because they're not. And we all have them in abundance. One way you can tell what a weakness is, is if, you're, if your spouse says, you always do that. You've never changed. You always do that. Well, what they're, what they're defining or what they're, what they're pointing you to is a pattern, a way, something that you probably developed in your formative years that probably was something that goes way back when you're just developing and learning and growing. And there's a lot of stuff that comes out of that period of our lives, things our parents did, circumstances, that shape us, that mold us. And, and there are things that would be considered a weakness, not a sin. For example, my dad died when I was a year old. Uh, my mom was pregnant, eight months pregnant for my little brother. And uh, there are four other kids ahead of us. And my dad died on an operating table. He went to have a tumor removed, 1958. They can hardly do it today. 1958, they sent him to the operating room, and he just never came back. I left my mother with no car, no house, no insurance, no money, no, no nothing. And her, his family kind of blamed her, apparently, so she said, for what happened. And so, therefore, uh, she was cut off and alone. And so our family grew up in this kind of a fear bubble. She was afraid of everything, afraid of the house catching on fire, afraid of something would happen to us. And she loved us so dearly, and she had no one really to work with her. 
And so we grew up, all my siblings have, a, uh, uh, all of us have had a major battle with fear. And, and my mom, uh, right up until she passed away, struggling with uh, panic attacks. And it's just one of those things that I've, I've lived with all my life, a battle with fear. It's not a sin. If it was a sin, there would be a Bible verse where Jesus many times said to people, do not fear, fear not. But he never treated it like a sin. He tried to move them from that fear to a strength, to, to pay a place of belief, a place of trust. And that's what he's done with me. Rather than berate me, rather than disqualify me, say, Penn, you've got too many fears, you can never do mission work, He's taken me to the neediest places on earth over and over and over, where I'm way in, way over my head. And uh, uh, I remember hearing a quote that says, uh, being afraid is, uh, or courage is being afraid but going on anyway. And I could relate to that. I, I would be afraid, but I would just trust the Lord and go on anyway. Next thing you know, I find myself doing surprising things for me, knowing my fears. I'll just give you a little example. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I got some things here I think will be very helpful for you. When I was a little kid, we had relatives who lived over near, uh, near Rochester, New York, and, and uh, his kids, their kids all were redheads like us, and, and we're a bunch of redheads. And, and uh, the idea of leaving Canada and coming to the States and being with our relatives, our cousins, and all of that was very exciting. So my uncle worked it out with my parents that he would just have us climb in the back of his truck, take us across the border. And when we got close to the border, he said, now pretend you're asleep, and I'll just claim you all as mine, because we're all a bunch of redheads. And he would smuggle us across the border. Well, if you can imagine, my old little heart, because I had also a very intense conscience, it was nerve-wracking for this, you know, little eight-year-old to come across the border in the back of a truck. But we did it time and time again. And he would smuggle us across. We thought, what if we get caught, you know? And, and then my parents would come and get us. And my dad was very afraid of crossing the border. And, and so all my, I've, got, I've got a brother who won't hardly travel because he can't cross borders. Well, every time I come to a border, and most of my work has been going to borders, I would have this little moment of really dealing with fear. But it really goes back into my formative years when that happened to me. But my whole life work has been crossing borders and learning how to navigate that whole thing. But I would, I would get to a border and almost get diarrhea thinking about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. Well, that's not a sin, but it is a weakness. And it happened to me. I was formed in that. And uh, uh, I've been able to live above it rather than letting it stop me. And that's, that's what God wants us to do. But the myth of a weakness is that somehow you can pray them away or they'll go away or you get to a level of spirituality where they cease to be. In my, in my understanding my way, I don't know that to be true. I don't know that to, that's not my experience. They don't go away. They just seem to be below the surface. And there's lots of those. I have, I have lots of weaknesses. That's why it's easier just to be an evangelist where you just move from place to place and never have to really be known. But you work with people long enough, you, you start seeing each other's weaknesses. And we all have them. And they happen in our marriages. They happen in our homes. In fact, turn with me 
to First uh, Peter chapter five, verse seven, and they happened in our churches. First Peter, chapter five. I'm sorry, First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Let me change that. Listen to this. You know, the first part's addressed to wives, verse 1. Verse, verse 7, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I don't know exactly what weaker vessel means. I really don't have an insight into that. And, of course, you know, you see the whole trans thing uh, with the Olympics where uh, men are presenting themselves as women, and, and uh, uh, it's an unfair competition. And, and so, but then you see women having babies, and you realize they're not weaker in, in so many ways. And, and uh, so I don't know quite how to place this. Not, my emphasis on this verse is not on the word weaker vessel. Here's what it's saying. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. In other words, you know why your wife is the way she is. Because you've heard her story. You, you know, she would react in a certain way or she'd have a certain penchant for something or uh, a certain tendency. And, and it just, you say, why do you do that? Why, why, are, you, why, why are you a neat freak? Or, or why, why are you so frugal with money? Why, what's the big issue with money? And she says, well, I'll tell you. And she, she explains to it, maybe in the courting period or dating period, she says, this has happened to me when I was a kid, and from that time on, I just, that's an area I just struggle with. Well, you can believe that they'll change. You can pray that they'll change. You can hope that they'll change. But I, through years of marriage and through years of working with people, fundamentally... We don't change very much. Fundamentally, there's, there's things that aren't sin. They're in our formation. They're in our responses. When Heather's a little girl, her family moved here from England. They moved to Canada. Left everything, left grandpa and grandma, left a, a life there. And immigrated to Canada and, and, and came. And her dad was a really sharp guy. And he borrowed money from different banks and lent, borrowed it and paid it back right away to build up a credit rating so he could build a house. And part of building the house, and Heather's, you know, five or six years old, and he's in Canada trying to beat, get ahead of winter, and they spend a large part of the summer in a tent. And then they went up from a tent into a little trailer. I've seen a photograph of a little tiny, little tiny trailer. You have to, it's so small, you have to go outside to change your mind come back in. And there's a little outhouse in behind us. So in Heather's formative years, she, she had to live this way until the house was ready so they could move into it. And that's the way her dad reestablished as a kind of a pioneer in a strange land. And it's totally commendable, except I meet Heather, you know, we're in our teens, and I grew up loving camping. And I tried to get her to go camping with me. She doesn't want to go near an outhouse or a tent. Camping is to her is like Holiday Inn. So all these years, I've loved camping. She doesn't love camping. I've tried. I've coaxed her. I've tried to trick her in the going. I think she went a couple times. And and but I understand 
why she feels the way she feels because I understand her story. There's a background story. Every weird thing you do, there's a background story. Every, every area that you don't like about your spouse or your, your, your spouse-to-be, there's a story behind that. And the more you understand that story and you understand, oh, that's why they are the way, that's why they handle money the way they handle money. That's how they react to a crisis the way they react to a crisis. And it doesn't really ever change. Fundamentally, it doesn't change. Husbands, live with your wives. So here's what happens. You meet a husband and he says, I'm not going to live with her anymore. You say, why don't you want to live with her anymore? Because she does this, this, and this, and this, and I hate it all. And, and Peter's saying, no, no, what you do is you understand why they are the way they are, but you keep living with them. You don't divorce them for those things. What if you did divorce them for those things and you fall in with someone else and they've got, they've got six or eight other weaknesses. They might be slightly different, but they've got weaknesses too. We all have them. It's a trade-off. And so he's saying, no, what you do is you, you, you don't expect them to change. And, and, and when you say to your spouse, unless you change, I'm not going to stay the course. I'm not going to stay. I'm not, not going to put up with it. You always do this. What if, what if that's the way it is? What if there's a way that they can just live above it but they might fall back into it from time to time, and, and that's, that, that is their, that's how they respond. And I'm not, I'm not being soft on sin or, or lack of character or those kinds of things, but there's things inside of us that we do, all of us do them, that drive other people crazy. And it seems to come out under pressure, conflict, Persecution, trials, COVID. Do you know how many churches haven't been able to get back together again from COVID? Because COVID revealed all their idiosyncrasies and how they respond differently to, to life's issues and life's problems and mandates. And the churches can't come back together again because they're this way and I'm this way. And I saw this in them and I heard this and I saw this and they can't come back together again because it revealed their weaknesses, not even their sins, just, just, the, just their responses. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 26. He's saying, For you see your calling, you're, you're being brought together, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of this world, put the to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. In other words, the church is made up of weak people, people with all kinds of issues. There are people who say, I don't want to go to that church. They're all, they're, they're, they're all nut jobs. They all have all kinds of issues. Yes, it's a collection of people. There's just no way to build a church out of perfect people and everyone mighty and everyone strong. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he says, look around, folks. 
you realize there's not, there's not very, the people who have it all together aren't in church, but the ones who don't have it all together are. It's the way it is. And so something happens where, you know, you step into a church and the, everyone looks like they just stepped out of an L.L. Bean catalog. But you're there for a short time and you say, these people are goofed up. These people have got problems. You should hear what they say. You should hear they're not whole. They're not. Well, when they're whole, that's when I'll sign on. That's when I'll commit. Don't hold your breath. I work with people. People fundamentally don't change. And, we have, and we're kind of, there's some myths that come with it. Part of the myth is when you meet Jesus, he, de he deals with all of your life, and, and uh, he changes you, and, and you're, you just go on from there. And there's an element there he does change, and he's changed me a lot from where I was. There's a lot of stuff that I don't do anymore. He dealt with all my sins. There's stuff that I did that I'm just absolutely ashamed of. I don't do them anymore. But there's parts of me, there's things, there's responses that drive Heather crazy. And my team, probably the people who worked with me, Phil and I have been thick and thin for so many years. There's stuff that he sees that probably no one else sees that he says, well, he's, he's always done it that way. He has to live with me with understanding. I, one time I, I was starting a, a church and years ago, my first church, and I was looking for uh, an assistant pastor, someone to work with me. And I was praying a lot about it. I didn't know the people that well. I'm new, and they're new, and they're new to me, and there's people who are shiny and bright. And there's... then, then I looked at this one guy, and he was so shy and so nervous, had a stutter, never put himself forward, never, never um, presented himself as having anything or anything like that. And I, I looked at him one day, and I was completely surprised by that. The Lord spoke to me and says, that's, that's the man. That's your, that's your elder that you're looking for. And I said, and I remember thinking, really? He, he was so shy and so... No, no confidence, no leadership, nothing that I saw at all. I, and I remember thinking, I'm going to hang out with him to find out what the Lord sees that I don't see. Come to find out. Underneath that nervousness was a solid man, a real leader and a, a wonderful Bible teacher and just a great partner in ministry. We, we traveled all over the world together and That's not Tony either. He's here this morning, so. He just, the Lord poured confidence into him, and the Lord poured affirmation. And next thing you know, he started to emerge, and, and he just became, it's Elton Herb. That's who I'm, I'm honoring. He was just a wonderful, wonderful partner in ministry. But I remember talking to him different times, and I said, what about this stutter that's there? He said, Penn, he said, it's just below the surface. I'm able to live above it, but it's always there. It's always just there. 
But I'm able, to, I'm, I'm able to pull out because the Lord had poured into him confidence and prophetically had built him up and prophetically uh, affirmed him in so many different ways. And, and people applauded his Bible teaching. He was a, just, just a bright, bright Bible teacher. And, and he could go into some things, but he said, you know, that thing is just below the surface. If I let it, I can go there like that. And there's lots of weaknesses in my life that I, I'm able to live above, but I know they're, they're just there below the surface. When I read those verses where it says, the Lord knows my frame, he knows we're, like, we're, but, we're but grass. I know what he's talking about. But he's not offended at weaknesses. There's a part of him that's kind of attracted to them. That's why the church is made up of people with weaknesses. Wave at me if you have weaknesses, if you're identifying with what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's possible that those weaknesses, you can actually use them as stepping stones to push you into the grace of God, that you actually live above those weaknesses, but they're always there. And sometimes you lapse back into them. Go with me to the next chapter, chapter 2. Paul's, First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, he says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. We get this idea that Paul's this mighty man, this mighty missionary, you know, going from Gentile land to Gentile land and, and conquering. And he, that's not how he saw himself. He says, I stood before you. My knees were knocking. I was with you. I had fear. See, he wasn't calling fear a sin. It wasn't treating it as a demon. It's just a fact of life. And he was transparent about it. I was part of a, a pastor's group one time where you could never be honest about your weaknesses. It was discouraged. And what it does, I, I learned that it leads to a kind of hypocrisy. And it's not safe to be yourself. And so you put on your best, your best shirt at everything you do, and you never let down your guard, and you can never really enter into real close fellowship because you can't be, you can't be who you really are because it's, it's, it's spoken against so much you can't even admit that you got a problem. I had, I, had a, I had a pastor come to me, and he said, I've got this struggle. And it wasn't even a sin issue. It was a, it was a weakness issue. I said, how come you're not going to your own denomination? He said, they'd kick me out if I told them what I just told you. They would kick me out. It's not safe. There's places it's not safe to be yourself. It's not safe to be a work in progress. It's not, safe to, it's not safe to be honest. Listen to what Paul is saying. He says, I was with you in fear and trembling, much weakness. I was with you in weakness. I didn't go there. I wasn't at the hot shot. And it pushed him to power. It pushed him to grace. It pushed him. He said, you know, I didn't want your faith resting on my clever words and my teaching. I wanted your faith to be resting squarely on the power of God. And so I moved. I... I stayed in that mode of weakness, and God graced me. One thing I love about John the Baptist is, is, is he moved in, he didn't move in the miraculous in the sense of healing and, 
and that kind of thing, but had tremendous power and authority that he could call the audience forward to repent and they would come. But he kept himself living in a condition of perpetual weakness through fasting. He fasted so much, it kept him weak. And he, and he, but he said, that's the, place, that's the place to be. because That's where the power is. Watch and see what happens. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is a, a major study. I can't get into it very much this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's struggling. Look at verse 7. He says, you know, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations that he'd been given. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then concluded, therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my weaknesses, my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is a fascinating section of scripture. Many books written about it, many sermons. Uh, I don't teach about it very much. You know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was? It doesn't say. And it doesn't say, and you can try to guess, you can say it was an eye, eye uh, weepy eye or whatever. You can think of lots of different things. I think he intentionally doesn't name what the thorn was because if it was this eye problem, you would only be able to relate to this passage by having an eye problem. So the fact that he doesn't say what it is, we can all relate because we all have issues. We all have a thorn in the flesh. He had an abundance of revelations, and the Lord allowed something, a messenger that was speaking to him, lest he become exalted. And, and he, he says something that's very powerful. He said, I, I cried out to the Lord, I wanted, this I wanted this thing to go away, and it didn't go away. And normally, when you're used to having your prayers answered, and then you hit this, hit this thing where your prayers don't seem to be answering, doesn't seem to be changing, Lord doesn't seem to be answering. Finally, the Lord spoke to him. And you know what he did that's so interesting? He gave him more revelation. He gave him a revelation. There's no way that Paul could have ever figured this out on his own. This is beyond reason. This is, this is counterintuitive. This is not logical. This could have only come from Jesus. He said, you know, when you're weak, then my power can rest upon you. Paul said, what? When, 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 I'm, when I'm weak? I mean, you're not offended? You, you're not, you don't want that thing to change? I've been praying it away. I, I want it to change. He says, well, there's grace. There's grace. And when he says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, he's not saying lie down and take it. He's saying let this thing push you to grace. Let this thing push you to a strength. Let this thing push you to places that you'd otherwise not get to. Let it work a work. Don't resist it. Don't resent it. There's stuff you hate about you that God could use to, as a stepping stone to more grace, a stepping stone to spiritual power, a stepping stone to something else. 
but it may always be there just below the surface. The Lord's saying, I don't mind you being weak, Paul. There are people who can't make decisions. There are people, there are weaknesses that, that drive each other crazy. And I'm not saying just lie down and let them be. I'm saying that there's a place where you actually use them to move, move in grace, move further along the way. Stop and think about some of the things. I mentioned my own fears, and we have insecurities. There are people who can't make decisions. Well, maybe there's something in their formation where their parents didn't allow them to make decisions or didn't cultivate that or made all, overrode them and made all their decisions for them, and then now they're married and they can't hardly make decisions. Well, they have to understand their way, and that's part of their formation, but the more you understand that that's half the battle. I understand that's... That's why they are the way they are. They're people who are more frugal than they should be. Frugal to a point that it's, they become hoarders. But there's a reason for that. They're people who um, have a work ethic. Maybe their, their dad made them work to such a point either they, they can't work or they hate to work or they work way too much. And it, that thing becomes, even though it's a valuable thing, a work ethic is a very valuable thing, it can become a real weakness in people's lives where they neglect other parts of their lives because of the way they work. Perfectionism. Perfectionism is the response that's coming out of some kind of, some kind of thinking that happened very early in your formation that everything has to be exact, everything has to be right, and it could be a wonderful strength if you're a bookkeeper that can drive you crazy if you're living with someone like me who doesn't care. People, there's people who are neat freak. Then there are other people who are just kind of so casual, but they might have grown up in a house where all the, all the furniture was covered in plastic and they're not allowed to touch it. Who knows? Who knows? There are people who all the, everything has to be done right and they have, all the rules have to be kept. There are people very black and white and they're in church, and we marry them. And there's no way to get around it. And, and, they are, and the more you understand how they got there, why they got there, I see some wives nudging the husbands just now. One wife just pulled a guy by the ear and said, listen to him. I'm not even going to look that way. See, I started by speaking about me. I need to understand my way. Then I moved to marriage because that's where most of us live or are going to be living. And we have to live, live with our spouses with understanding. Let's move it from wives. Let's just say live with your wife, live with your spouse with understanding. Understand where they, why they are the way they are. But you still live with them. Then I moved to the church and found out that the church is full of weak people people with issues, and we're not confusing them with sins. We can't be soft on sin. We cannot do that. That's wrong. That we'll lose all of, all of what we've worked so hard for if we compromise on that kind of stuff. But weaknesses are, are th responses and issues, idiosyncrasies, things that we do. But there is a way, by the grace of God, to actually use it so I'm not saying lay down and just say, hey, just accept me the way I am. 
There, there are people who, who struggle with, they think it's pride, but actually they're just needy. They need affection. They need, they need affirmation. They need applause. They need attention. Well, wh who knows where that was formed in them, either the absence of it or the parents gave them too much of it. And now they come up to other people with a pistol and kind of stick them up for affirmation. Sing louder than everyone else because they want everyone to be looking at them or prophesy or, or do something that's coming out of a need for affirmation rather than, a, a need to, rather than to be a blessing. We all do stuff. And, and then we move into ministry. There isn't anyone in ministry who I know who's whole. And if you expect them to be whole, you'll move from church to church looking for the, the holiest pastor and you won't find them. We're just, for, we're work in progress. I'm not excusing anything. I'm just saying that we need to live with each other and understanding. Here's where I'm going with this. The thing that revealed it in Paul, if you keep reading in chapter 12, he says, uh, he, des he describes all kinds of things like rejection and, and persecution and a lack of finances, real necessities. And these necessities revealed how really weak he was. When someone's against you and they're talking against you, you find out how really weak you are because you can't do anything about it. They're going to believe what they believe about you. Persecution comes and you find out you really can't stop it. Unless you get a, 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 an AK-47 or something like that. And we don't live that way. And there's, there's all kinds of stuff that reveal insecurities and weaknesses and things we don't like. And it's coming, it's coming to the church in a way that is, is, is going to be alarming. And here's what's going to happen. We're gonna, it's going to bring out all kinds of reactions among us. And we have to say, well... I could change churches, but I would just go into another group who has all kinds of other issues and idiosyncrasies. But at least I know those ones. See, once you know your weaknesses and you understand that they're there, they're probably not going to go away. And you wouldn't trade them for the other guy's weaknesses. At least you know yours and you understand why you are the way you are. What if, stuff is, what if stuff happens, mandates and, and crazy things, and all of a sudden you start seeing the weaknesses in your brothers and sisters like you never saw before in the form of reactions? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? It really helps when you sit down with them at a table, elbow to elbow, and say, how'd you get this place? How, wh what was... Wh How'd you, how'd you, uh, what was your formation like? How'd you get there? And they tell you their story. And you say, oh, I get that. I understand that. And it's funny how you can relax when, when two things. When you know that they know what their weaknesses are, and you also know why they got to where they are. And you say, well, I understand that. Live with them with understanding. And, and I, I can live with that. I understand. In fact, uh, the more you work with people and you get to know people, you can say, oh, I, I, I appreciate this strength that they have and I understand how they got to where they are in that area. And that's fine. I, I get that. And you could just 
head into fellowship and be together. It's, it's a wonderful place to be the more that you live with people with understanding. You know, there's a, an enemy that, out there who wants you to hate you. He wants you to resent you the way you are. He wants you to resent your weaknesses and your struggles. And he, he, he implies that if you were more spiritual, you wouldn't have those issues. That maybe you need inner healing or something that someone could pray it away. And that God doesn't really accept you because of these things in your life. And, and you find out that God's not offended. He's, he's actually attracted to weakness. He can work with that. He can work with the honest. God gives grace to the honest. You find out he's not offended. You find out he understands. He's, I, I, I know. I, I know why you are the way you are. And there is a grace. You press in. You can ask for something, but... I don't, think, I don't think it's necessarily that you pray it away, cast it out, or deal with it. I think it's recognizing that it's there and allowing grace to move you into a place of strength. I had so many fears growing up that it caused me to lie. Most of my fears, when I think about them, were coming out of a, a, a fear of what other people thought. And it caused me to live a life of a lie. When I met the Lord, the fear stayed there, but the lying stopped. And he moved me into a place of an integrity where I became known as a person of integrity. Well, I, didn't, I wasn't known as a man of integrity when I was growing up. But it moved me to a place of strength where I, I respect honesty and appreciate people who are honest about themselves and honest about where they're... But that's a strength. I didn't start there. I, I got there. Do I stay there all the time? I wish I could tell you that I do, but I don't. Just below the surface, there's a liar that I have to watch. Anyone relate to what I'm talking about? It'll make your marriage different if you live with your spouse with understanding. I understand why they are the way they are. I know how they got there. I'm not going to demand that they change anymore. I'm not going to put that pressure on them, that ultimatum, change or else. Change or I'm out. Well, think about this. Before you demand someone else to change, think about how hard it is for you to change. It's nearly impossible on some of the issues of our life. They would be categorized as a weakness, not a sin. We deal with our sins differently. We never deal with sins like their weaknesses. I remember meeting one pastor, and he had a, a real sin issue, and he called it his weakness. And I had to confront him and said, that is not a weakness. That's a sin. But you don't deal with your weaknesses as though they're sins. It's a different remedy. It's a different response. It's a different heart. But we all have them. There's grace for it. I'm going to stop here. And I'm going to ask Pastor Nelson to come up and, and, and let him finish this out and uh, see how the Lord closes our meeting. We, we want you to come forward. We want you to respond. We want you to respond somehow to the Lord. Whatever you have in your heart. Amen?